Well, hello. Just a second. All right, wow, that was loud. I am so excited to share with you guys tonight. Um, this is kind of a prequel. Does anyone know what a prequel is? Right, like the, not a sequel, but a prequel. So to love dating relationships, um, we are gonna talk first about healthy friendships because you can't really get into a healthy relationship if you don't know how to have a good friends, right? Or be a good friend. So this is a, I always share a story and this one I'm not entirely proud of so you're welcome. And so I was in about sixth grade, I believe, and it was right when like all my friends started getting really boy crazy. And I was just trying to focus on Jesus, right? Little sixth grade Aaron. And so anyway, I was downhill skiing at this place in Minnesota, which means it was like maybe a 400 foot hill. And it was really cool. Andy's Tower Hills was the name of it. And it was incredible. And anyway, I'm on, I'm skiing with some friends, and I had this one friend, and she was, like, obsessed with this guy. And it was, like, one of those things where she was, like, constantly talking about him. Like, that's all she could talk about. And I got really annoyed with her. And so because I was annoyed, I, I decided that I had to have, like, a spiritual, like, reason to just confront her about this. So I decided that the best course of action was going to be me um, telling her, guess what? He's not gonna, he doesn't like you and he never will like you. And you should stop being so obsessed with him and be more focused on God. <laughs> I'm not proud of this, but I did do this. My problem was that I confronted her while on a ski lift and that's not a good idea. And so anyway, it's just her and I on the ski lift and all of our friends on there on the lifts in front of us. And they all get off easily. And we're right at the top of the mountain. And I'm glad that she was, like, good enough to me to wait till then. But we're just about to get off the lift. I'm about to feel my skis touch the earth. And I feel this huge jab of her elbow into my side. And she knocks me over off of the lift. And I just, like, splat. My skis are everywhere. My poles are everywhere. And I'm right below the lift. Well, all my friends saw this, but the ski lift operator didn't. And so then the next lift came right as I'm about to, like, get up. And I'm, like, gathering my skis. And then the lift comes and just knocks me over. And then I'm, like, okay, surely he has to have seen this. And he did. But he was sitting, I kid you not, in the little lift booth with his feet propped up and his hands behind his head laughing at me. And he didn't stop it for the next four lifts. <laughs> they just toppled me over. And the only thing that saved me was I finally just, like, crawled away, like, scooting with my skis on. <laughs> I crawled away to safety. So I learned a lesson. The first was don't confront somebody while on a ski lift. The second is you got to be a good friend. <laughs> so I was not an understanding friend. But tonight we're talking about healthy friendships. And the Bible actually talks a lot about this. And I think we want to start tonight um, with talking about what God's plan for friendship is. And I think God has a way bigger plan and a way bigger desire for friendship than maybe we do. So the first thing, I just have like a short list of what God intends friendship to be like. The first one, and it, as I'm like reading this list, don't just be checking off like, oh, my friend doesn't do this. Another reason I should disown them. Or whatever it might be. Ask yourself, am I that good friend? Okay, let's be mature. So the first is true friends are loyal. 
In a true friendship, there's a healthy balance between giving and receiving. One person is not doing all the giving and the other all the receiving, but there's a balance between that. A true friendship is trustworthy and reliable. There is, like, nothing better than a reliable, trustworthy friend. Somebody that you know when you tell your secrets to them, they're not going to, like, go blast it on social media. A, a true friend brings you closer to Jesus. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We are called to sharpen each other, which means we push each other closer to God. That's an incredible friendship. Um, friendships, true friendships will not lead you to do things that are wrong or hurtful. In Luke 6.31, it actually says that we are to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. So if we don't want people to hurt us, we don't lead other people into hurt. The last one is they don't flatter. Proverbs 27.6 says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy is deceitful. That's really interesting because we don't think of friendship as wounding, right? But who's ever, like, walked around with food stuck in their teeth and you realize that you don't have any friends anymore because no one actually told you that you had food in your teeth, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. When a friend tells you that you probably shouldn't lead worship because you don't have a good voice, that might hurt, but you're probably thankful that you didn't try out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? But when a friend flatters you and just tells you lies to puff you up, that's not a true friend, is it? That's just icky and hard. So sometimes friendship has conflict like that, right? But it's like healthy conflict. But what do we do when we have hard, hurtful conflict in our lives? When our friendships are like falling apart and it's painful. You don't have to raise your hand, but who has ever been through like a really painful friendship that's really, really hurtful? I have, and it is really hard, but God actually has a biblical way to handle conflict. I don't know if you know that, and he wrote about it in his word. Jesus actually spoke it when he lived on earth. I believe that one of the biggest inhibitors to healthy friendship is our inability to resolve conflict. If we can't resolve conflict, we cannot have long-term healthy friendship, and if we can't resolve <laughs> conflict with friends, there's no way that we can resolve it when we get married one day. And I might just, like, be busting somebody's, like, perfect view of marriage, but marriage is hard. And there's conflict in marriage. Who's married in here and knows that there's conflict in marriage? But it's good. It's good conflict because you get to solve it. <laughs> sorry, that was maybe not the best question. Sorry. I wouldn't have it any other way. But if we don't learn to solve conflict right now in our friendships, there's no way we're going to be able to solve conflict in the long run when the stakes are higher. And I really believe that God has called us to cherish friendships and to look at friendships in a greater way than just somebody that's fun to be around, but somebody that actually, like, grows you in your faith, that somebody that's reliable and trustworthy and all of those things that we talked about. God has a greater plan for, for friendship than we do probably currently but we're going to need conflict re resolution to be able to succeed in those friendships. So how do we actually resolve conflict in a healthy way, in a biblical way? Um, let's open your Bibles, if you brought them, to Matthew 18, chapter 18, 15 through 20, those verses. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the back info table. Um, and if you don't own a Bible at all, feel free to just take it. It's for you to keep. Um, but Matthew 18, 
15 through 20 says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Ouch. Just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Sounds very formal, doesn't it? Um, And if they still refuse to listen, let the church know. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's pretty harsh, but we'll stop there, and we're going to just break this down. So the first thing that we do is we have to establish is that did they actually sin against me or not, right? So the first step in conflict resolution is self-examination. The first step to resolving conflict in a, in a relationship is self-examination. So ask yourself, well, first you want to pray over the situation and ask God, God, like, this really hurt me, and I'm, like, feeling the hurt from what this person did. Is this sin or not? How should I confront this? Do I just need to let this go because I'm being, like, I'm insecure or I, I'm being really sensitive, or do I need to confront this? And we ask God about it. The second is we can ask ourselves, am I consistently getting wronged by people? And if you, like, if you can look back and honestly look at your life and say, every single week, I have a story of somebody wronging me. Whether it's the person in the checkout lane who is really, really rude to me at the grocery store, or maybe a server at a restaurant treated me wrongly, or this friend did this to me, and there's, like, weekly or even daily something that somebody is doing that hurts you, you probably have something wrong in your heart. And we're going to talk about that later. But that's a question to ask yourself. Am I consistently getting wronged by other people? The third thing that would, if we all just took note of this, we would be so much happier as people, is asking yourself, or assuming ignorance instead of malice. Assume that they did not intend on hurting you. And I have a quick story that makes this make sense. So I lived in this house right after I graduated high school with a bunch of other girls. And so we created, like, there was a chore chart. And we each had, like, weekly chores to do. Otherwise, a house would get crazy with that many girls in it. And there was, like, 14 of us in this big house. But anyway, we, we kept saying because we kept it clean. So anyway, there was this dehumidifier. Does everyone know what a dehumidifier is? It's like the opposite of a humidifier. It sucks moisture out of the air. You had to empty it weekly because the, a tank at the bottom of it would get full of water that it sucked out of the air. And it was in the basement of our house. Well, one of the girls that I lived with um, didn't know that it was a dehumidifier. And so when it was her turn to change it, she just emptied the water and p- replaced it with clean water because she thought it was a humidifier. So anyway, it like overflowed and people's shoes got wet and clothes were dirty, and we, like, the person who discovered it was so mad, and they were just, like, they went and told us girls, they're like, can you believe they were so lazy, they didn't do their job, and now my clothes got wet, and, like, they assumed the worst right away, that this person was just lazy, they were putting off their job, they they didn't care about anyone else but them, and then we went to the person, and we're like, hey, why didn't you empty this, and they were like, what, that's a dehumidifier? I thought I was supposed to fill it with water. Lesson learned, she was actually just ignorant. And that sounds really mean, so please don't take it the wrong way. She honestly didn't know. And we were all up in arms, ready to, like, go just punish her. 
because we thought she was just lazy and did it on purpose, you know? But the real reason was she didn't know. And how often do we do that in our lives? We just assume right away that this person did this because they were just trying to cut me. They were trying to just, like, really make me mad. But in fact, they, were, they didn't know. And they did something out of ignorance. So ask yourself before you confront, are, is there, did they do this out of ignorance or actual malice? And go into the confrontation with that heart and mind. Just assuming ignorance, not malice. So we examine ourselves first, and then we confront biblically. So what does that verse say in Matthew? It says, if your brother or sister sins, point out their fault just between the two of you. Wow. How many times do we go to like five people before we confront somebody's fault? Or never confront it, but we tell all of our friends what they did? Ouch. The Bible talks about covering over lo- with love and honoring each other. And that is not honoring to tell everybody the wrong that somebody did to you before you've had a chance to talk to them about it. What if they were the dehumidifier person and you went and told everyone about how lazy they were and they just didn't know? The Bible talks about, after you've examined yourself, going to that person alone and saying, listen, like out of heart, and I, maybe write this sentence down. I'm just encouraging you. Saying, hey, I know you, and you probably wouldn't want to hurt me, but when you did this, it made me feel like this. Can we talk about that? And being honest, yes, you hurt me, but I'm trusting that you didn't intend on doing that. Because who's been confronted like, you're always trying to do this and blah, 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 and then you're like backed up against a wall and you have no choice but to fight? So when you confront, you go in kindly and gently. If they don't listen, which most of the time people do, if they don't listen, though, you go to somebody else, maybe a really trusted friend or your small group leader, and you say, hey, this, is, this situation happened, or maybe you know that the situation happened. Can you come with me, and we'll talk to this person together? Because my heart is reconciliation, not to just prove a point and make them, like, frustrated that they got caught. My heart is reconciliation. So you go with that person. So you, f- you first confront one-on-one, then you confront with, like, two max trusted people, and if that doesn't work, you go to leadership. It, it says go to the church. So you're maybe your pastor, maybe your Chi Alpha pastor, and you bring them into the situation. And that does not happen very often. And I know that this probably seems really formal, but we never talk about conflict resolution. And there is an order to it. And Jesus set this order in Matthew. And I like very much encourage us to follow this. Because if it was good enough for Jesus to set this, it's good enough for me to do it, right? And how many conflicts could we solve by just going to the person instead of spreading it all over? So if nothing changes, even after they talk to the church or the the church leaders, it says allow them or treat them like pagans or tax collectors. But Jesus loved pagans and tax collectors. So that doesn't mean you disown them, you just are rude to them now, you love them, but they're not going to be your best friend. You have to create like a healthy boundary. Does that make sense? Create a healthy boundary where you love them, but they're not going to be your best friend. In verse 19, it's really, really interesting. It says, so just following all of this, they didn't listen to you, all of that. It says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So in this time, this would have been like how you correct conflict and sin was like a really orderly process, right? So at the end of this, what Jewish tradition would say is if they didn't listen to you and there was no reconciliation, you could just have revenge. So if they punched you, you could punch them back at this time. So Jesus is saying right here, by adding the, like putting this verse in there, essentially he's saying, don't punch them back, but gather the people that were involved in the situation and pray for them. And I promise you that I will be with you. He's not leaving you. He's with you. He's on your side. I will be with you. And whatever you ask in my name, it'll be done. Isn't that incredible? And how much better is that? than going and just seeking revenge because it didn't work out for us. But we actually get a chance to pray with each other for the person that hurt us and trust that God has our, has our back in it. But what happens when it hurts, like when our heart is hurting? And that's my third point. So first, we examine our hearts. We examine ourselves. Then we confront biblically. But then we have to choose not to become bitter. Bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. So imagine that somebody, like, cuts your hand open, right? This is going to be a weird illustration, but just bear with me. They cut your hand open, and it, like, really hurts, and they're in the wrong, right? Well, a lot of times, like, imagine that this person with their, their cut open hand, instead of bandaging it, instead of getting it treated, and letting it heal, they go and run around and show everybody around them what happened to them. So everyone knows that they're, they're hurt. And then they, they either, like, get upset and so hurt inside that they have to go start hurting other people so they're not the only one being hurt. Or eventually the wound becomes so infected that they go back to the person who initially gave it to them and they, like, rub it all over them to try to get it not infected and try to let it heal. But that wouldn't heal it at all. But that's what we do with our hurt in our hearts. We get wounded, and we either keep it to ourselves so it's so bottled up and so infected that we eventually, like, either hurt everyone around us or we go back to the person who initially hurt us, and we try to just, like, totally dishonor them. We try to ruin them. We just, like totally ruin their reputation or we just ream them or we hurt them back and we think it's going to make us feel better but it doesn't it never cleans the wound it never heals the wound there's only one thing that does and that's what bitterness does in our hearts it's like that wound that we never got treated but we're hoping that we'll get treated if we just like slap it around everybody in hebrews 12:15 it see, says that see to it that no that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. Bitterness is like a root that like plants itself deep into our hearts. And the problem with it is we, we feel justified to have bitterness. It's like swallowing poison, hoping the other person will die. And we feel justified having in our hearts because we're hurt, Right? But it grows, and the Bible says that it ends up defiling many. We're not the only ones that suffer from it. 
the person who heard it isn't the only one that suffers from it. Everyone does. And we'll talk more about that in a second. See, bitterness is a root, but it always produces fruit. And the fruit of bitterness costs us a lot. And I read this medical journal. It's a completely secular medical journal. And the, the psychologist wrote here, says, if we repeatedly ruminate over how we've been victimized, our nursing our wrongs may eventually come to define some essential part of who we are. Takes hold of our personality, and so we'll become victims, not so much to everyone else or anyone else, but principally to ourselves. When we sit around and ruminate, which means like you mull it over, you keep repeating in your mind everything that happened to you, we become not a victim to the person who hurt us. We become a victim to ourselves. And the, the fruit of bitterness in our life looks like this. It prolongs, it comes out physically a lot of times, which is really scary. But it, this uh, medical journal said it prolongs our mental and emotional pain. It leads to long-lasting anxiety and depression. It causes us to commit vengeful or even violent acts. It engulfs us in a never-ending, self-defeating cycle of getting even. It prevents us from experiencing potential joys of living fully in the present versus dwelling self-righteously on the past wrongs inflicted on us. It creates and further deepens an attitude of just distrust or cynicism. Bitterness interferes with our cultivating of healthy and satisfying relationships. It stops us from having good friendships. It robs us of energy, undermines our physical health. It causes problems like insomnia, high blood pressure, back pain, headaches, weakened immune system, and abdominal conditions. Bitterness blinds us from recognizing our own role and our own responsibility in the situation. The fruit of bitterness is very costly. But God promises a cure, and that is incredible, and that's something to celebrate. In this same journal, the doctor said, um, virtually every writer who has weighed in on the subject of bitterness has discussed its ultimate remedy in terms of forgiveness. For forgiveness alone enables you to let go of grievances, grudges, and resentment. It's the single most potent antidote for the venomous desire for justice. Isn't that incredible? I just think it's cool that, like, this is not a Christian perspective, but a secular perspective would agree with the Bible saying that forgiveness is the single most potent antidote for bitterness. Forgiveness brings healing to our lives. In Colossians 3, 12 through 14, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, which is us, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As I was praying for this message, I really felt like I need to share this. That sometimes 
we have like a sense of justice, maybe not just for ourselves, but for other people because we've seen them hurt. But our justice is motivated by bitterness. And that's not a healthy motivation. That brings destruction. And I felt like there's some people in here that have been frustrated that their attempts for justice have brought nothing. And it actually has brought more hurt in your life. And God is trying to tell you tonight that if you ask for forgiveness, if you seek forgiveness, that justice can be had. And I want to encourage you that when we, we can't put on love, like it says, that binds, it, binds everything together in perfect unity until we've forgiven. And sometimes we seek love to bind us in unity. And it seems like this admirable thing to seek, which it is, but we haven't done the, pre, like the, the prequel to it. We haven't forgiven. And so it doesn't work that way. But God has this love to bind us together in unity, but we have to walk in forgiveness. We can forgive because God first forgave us. In Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. God forgave us through Christ Jesus. And the worship team can come back up. My final story is... um, so we started the chapter, the, the part about conflict in Matthew. And so Jesus had told all the disciples this whole, like, way to solve conflict, right? And he talked about praying together. And then right after that, in the Bible, it shares this parable, and it's called the parable of the, the unmerciful or unforgiving servant. And it's so interesting that Jesus would talk about conflict resolution and then share this parable. And I wanted to just paraphrase it for you guys. So basically what happened is there is this servant, and he owed the king, the Bible says, 10,000 talents. And I'm guessing nobody knows what talents are. They're not like your skills that you are really cool with. You have 10,000 skills. Like they're not, they were like a form of currency back in this day. And 10,000, one talent was worth 20 years wages for this servant. So if you can do the math, that's like 200,000 years of, of work that he owed the king. How he got that far in debt, I have no idea. But he was. And the king called him to him and said, you owe me so much money. And the only way you can repay me, because you can't live 200,000 years, the only way you can repay me is I'm going to take your wife and your kids and I'm going to sell them. I'm going to take all of your possessions. I will sell them. And I'm going to take you as my slave. And that's the only, we'll be kind of even at that point. So this man, like, could you imagine getting that news? Like, you're so far in debt that your whole family is lost. You're, like, you're going to be, like, enslaved to your debt for the rest of your life. And so he gets down on his knees and he, he starts begging. And he says, just anything, I'll, I'll try to pay you back. Just give me a little more time. And the king, the Bible says, had mercy on him. And he said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you this debt. There's no way you could ever repay me. And you can go free. Could you imagine that feeling of like your whole life is about to end. And all of a sudden, 
it's changed and somebody set you free. So you would imagine that he would leave the king and just rejoice and start like giving things to people and saying like, I'm so blessed that I'm actually like here. I still have my family. I have some stuff. I have my house. Here, you take this, you take this. I don't need it anymore. I'm forgiven this debt. But what does he do? He runs into somebody that owes him money on his way home. And this guy, the Bible says he owed him one denarii, which is one day's wage. So this guy owed 200,000 years of life, years of wages. And this man he ran into owed him one day's wage. And he found him and he grabbed him and he said, give me everything you owe me. And the guy said, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I almost have the money. I can give you some of it. Just let me work one day longer and I'll give it back to you. And this servant said, no, you owe it to me now. And if you can't pay me, I'm throwing you in prison. And he did. He threw the man in prison. Now the king, who had just forgiven this guy and totally saved his life, went back to him and he said, what have you done? I just forgave you everything. And somebody owed you such a tiny little thing and you wouldn't forgive them? What, who are you? And he threw him in prison, let the other guy free. That's Jesus. God is our king, and we owed him everything. There's no way we could pay back the debt that we owed him because of our sin. We are all fallen short of the glory of God. And there's no way that we could be in right relationship with God. There's no way we couldn't pay for it. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he paid for it, and he set us free like he set that servant free. And sometimes people hurt us, and they owe us something. But we walk to them, and we walk as a forgiven and free person, and we make them pay us back. And they owed us one stupid day wages, and we owed 200,000 years of our life. But how often do we do that? We have been forgiven a debt we could never repay. And because of that, because God knows what it feels like to forgive somebody, he knows really well because he paid the price of his son to forgive us. And because of that, we don't have a God that's like, you need to forgive, but I don't know what that feels like, so you must stink. No, God knows exactly what that feels like. And he knows how hard that is and that it costs you something to forgive somebody. But the cost is so beautiful and so worth it. And I'm asking you guys tonight, as we close, to consider that. Consider the small cost compared to what Jesus paid for us. If you all could bow your heads and close your eyes. As I was praying for this message, I, I really felt like I wanted to, there's people in this room that have some deep hurt from past friendships. And it's made them unable to trust new friends. You've had deep hurt in your life, maybe not even from a friendship. And if that's you and you want healing tonight, would you just raise your hand? I also felt like there were some people in this room that have been really hurt by God. And they have bitterness in their heart towards God. And if that's you, would you raise your hand? Now I want to walk you through what forgiveness looks like. Forgiveness, 
I would encourage you as we pray for you to tell God exactly what happened to you. And if you're angry at God, tell him what, why you're angry. Tell him what he did. He can handle it. A lot of times we're angry at God, but we've shut it off. And we've never, we've never let him into that. We've never had that conversation, that even that confrontation conversation that he's called us to have with other people, we've never had that with him, that one-on-one confrontation. We've maybe told other people that we're angry, but we've never told him. And as we pray and as the closing music happens, I just encourage you to tell God exactly why, what hurts and what happened. And then ask him to help you forgive. And I'm going to ask you to do something really hard tonight. I'm going to ask you to, to say, I forgive, and name the person out loud. And you might not feel it right now. It might feel horrible to you right now. But I promise you, from personal experience, if you continue to do that with God on your side, you're going to not have bitterness anymore. He's going to heal you of bitterness. Finally, if when I was explaining what Jesus Christ did for us and the debt that he paid for us, and you've never accepted his salvation for you, you've never accepted that as a personal thing, and you want to do that tonight, would you just raise your hand and look at me? I don't see anyone. Why don't we pray? God, I just thank you so much that you don't call us to forgive without our having forgiven us first. Jesus, I thank you for sacrificing yourself for our sins. And God, tonight, I just pray that you would um, you would just bring comfort into this room. God, as people are walking through forgiveness and walking through um, freedom from bitterness, God, would you just free them in the name of Jesus? I just pray for roots of bitterness that have been there for years to be uprooted tonight, God. Would you just heal every heart in this room? Would people walk in forgiveness from this day forward? We're just going to play this, and I encourage you to walk through those steps of forgiveness. And if you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer for a friendship that's that's been really hard and had a lot of conflict or whatever it might be, we're going to be, some of our staff are going to be in the back and would love to pray with you. Thank you.